Our second uh, session, like I mentioned before, is, is entitled The Battle of Armageddon and the Seven Last Plagues. And before we get into this message, let's go ahead and bow our heads for another word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much, Lord, that your coming is near. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would be with us now as we study about the seven last plagues. Lord, it's, uh, it can be a difficult topic to grasp and to, to, to realize. And we pray, Lord, that we would see your love in this, Lord, and that we, could, um, that we would not receive those plagues, Lord, and that we would be protected through it. So, Lord, bless our time together this evening and uh, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The topic of the seven last plagues often makes people uncomfortable and sometimes even fearful. One day, will, will we be watching TV only to hear this announcement? We interrupt this broadcast and then be shown some terribly violent pictures on television of Earth's final cataclysm? Is this the way that the end of the world will take place? Earthquake, fire, and volcanic eruptions? One day, will we hear the news the startling news that a final world war called Armageddon has erupted. Will our TV screens be filled with images of conflict, strife, and famine? Will there be unprecedented, an unprecedented series of worldwide natural disasters? Or maybe an unprecedented world financial collapse? Or possibly a global international conflict? As we think about the seven last plagues, we imagine some pretty difficult times, don't we? It is sometimes difficult to harmonize these plagues with the love of God. And in tonight's presentation, we're going to answer the following questions. Number one, how could a loving God afflict people with these terrible plagues? Number two, when does this period of the tribulation occur? And number three, are God's people, as some believe, raptured before the period of the, se of the seven last plagues? We looked at that already a little bit. And number four, are we on the verge of the tribulation, the time of the end, and the battle of Armageddon? Friends, I believe God's word has answers for us. Amen? So we're going to go back to God's word here tonight. It will help us to see what all this has to do with our personal relationship with Christ and the kingdom of God. So let's go to the book of Revelation to find some answers tonight. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 and 7, the Bible tells us, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. God wants this everlasting gospel to go to every people group. Amen? Every language. It spans the earth. This gospel message will span the earth. It will leap across geographical boundaries. It will reach every people group. My brother is actually leaving, I think, probably next month to go to an unreached people group in the Philippines. And God is calling missionaries all, all, all the time and in all places to go to these unreached people groups to, to give them the Bible and to share the everlasting gospel with them. The message continues. It says, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come. Now, in previous presentations, we learned what the hour of his judgment was all about. And we also saw what it means to fear God. Now, it's not in the, in the sense of being afraid of God, but rather respecting God and obeying God and honoring him in all of our actions, in all of our ways. Verse 7 continues. It says, And worship him who made 
That would be worshiping God as our creator. Amen? Worshiping him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So in a world that is living in the judgment hour, our attention is drawn to the issue of worship. Revelation 14, 7 calls us to worship the creator God. And what is the symbol that the creator left us as a memorial of his creative power? It's the Sabbath. It's the Bible Sabbath, as we saw last Saturday night. Here is the call in the judgment hour to worship the creator by remembering the Sabbath as a special memorial of God's creative power. So we see here in this passage that verse 7 talks about true worship. And in verse 9, it talks about false worship. In verse 9, it says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand. Now notice that there are two types of worships. There is true worship, worshiping God as a creator, and then there is false worship, worshiping the beast power. The entire world will be brought into a crisis over the issue of worship. The final conflict in these last days is over who you worship and how you worship. Worship is at the very core of Christianity. This struggle over worship is Satan's last attempt to undermine God's authority. Verse 10 tells us that those who worship the beast will drink of the wine of the wrath of God. It says, He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. Friends, when something is poured out in full strength, does that mean that it's potent? It is very potent. It's not diluted. It's full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So God's last day message is a warning against being a recipient of the wrath of God. A loving God wants to warn men and women so that they will not be afflicted by the seven last plagues in the, in the time of tribulation. Revelation chapter 14, 12 describes those who follow Jesus at the end of time. It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. So in opposition to those that worship the beast, God has a group of people who worship him as their creator God by keeping the Bible Sabbath. They lovingly obey him and they, and they keep all of his commandments. And we saw last weekend just how important this is to the Lord. The great conflict in these last days of earth's history is not a struggle in the Middle East. Although, that there, although there is conflict in the Middle East, and it seems like there has been since, since the beginning, basically, since Bible times, there are many problems over there. The great conflict in these last days, uh, in the last days of earth's history, is a battle for the mind, and it revolves around the issue of worship. It's a battle between Christ and Satan for our loyalty, it's a battle for our allegiance, and it's a battle for our worship. And similar, it is similar to the crisis that Daniel and his friends faced, or that Daniel's friends faced in their day. They faced a great test of loyalty in Daniel chapter 3. In the days of Daniel, church and state united, and the most powerful ruler passed a universal decree affecting the entire Babylonian empire. He forced his citizens to worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It was a counterfeit system of worship. You remember 
that we looked at this, this image in Daniel chapter 2. It was our very first presentation. The, the image had a head of gold. It had chest and arms of silver. It had thighs of brass, legs of iron, and feet and toes uh, of iron and clay. It represented four great nations which would rule the, the world. Can you help me out with those without looking at the screen? Yeah. <laughs> Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And then we have the, division of the, uh, the divisions of the Roman Empire. But Nebuchadnezzar did not like the interpretation that Daniel gave him. So Nebuchadnezzar changed the truth into a counterfeit. He commanded a false system of worship. And in the last days, an attempt will be made, again, to substitute a counterfeit for divine truth. Men and women will be compelled to worship at the shrine of false worship. Satan will appeal for their loyalty. He will appeal for their allegiance. There will be a conflict over this issue of worship. Revelation 15, verse 1 says, Then I, that is John, saw another sign in heaven, Great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Now when the Bible talks about those who receive the mark of the beast and the wrath of God, it's talking about those who also receive the seven last plagues. Now some of you may be wondering, well, what is God's wrath? Well, God's wrath is not his anger at sinners. It is his judgment upon sin. The Bible tells us that Christ came into the world to save sinners. Amen? We are all sinners. But it says right here that God's wrath is not his anger at sinners. It is his judgment upon sin. Our God is a loving God. Our God, his love is everlasting. But when men and women turn their backs on God, the wrath of God or God's judgment upon sin falls upon them. But remember that Satan is the one that is a destroyer. Even now, if God did not protect the world, this world would be plunged into scenes of destruction that our minds couldn't possibly imagine. But during the seven last plagues, God withdraws his protective hand and all the hellish forces break loose. Wind, rain, fire, storm, and the judgments of God will fall on this world. The seven last plagues are the awful result of a world separated from God and a planet in rebellion. So let's look at the sequence of last day events quickly here. It says the first thing that will happen is the worldwide preaching of the gospel. First, the gospel has got to go to the whole world. Amen. And the Bible says in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in how much of the world? All the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. So every people group on the planet needs to hear the message of the gospel. Missionaries need to go out, amen? The Holy Spirit needs to be poured out in, in Holy Spirit, latter rain power, and uh, the work can finish. And by God's grace and power, the work will soon finish by his power. The second thing that will take place is that all humanity will make a final eternal choice. The final message that goes out gives every person an opportunity to make a final choice for or against God. Third, the mark of the beast is enforced in a final conflict over worship. And number four, God's loyal people lovingly obey him. And number five, the seven last plagues are then poured out. And number six, Christ comes and delivers his people at the second coming. 
Now, some might be concerned at this point because they thought that maybe God's people were delivered before the plagues and they were taken to heaven in the secret rapture. But as we saw in our first presentation, that that is not the case. In Revelation 15, verse 8, no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So the Bible says that no one can enter the heavenly temple until the seven last plagues are finished. So Jesus is up there in heaven right now, and he's ministering in the heavenly temple, the heavenly sanctuary for you and for I, uh, for me. We are, he is interceding for us, the Bible says. But at the very end of the judgment, Jesus makes this very important decree. We'll look at it again. It's found in Revelation twenty-two eleven. It says, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. So we see that there will be just two classes. There will be the righteous and the unrighteous. There will be the holy and the unholy. There will be the pure and the impure. There will be no middle ground when Christ comes. Sometimes people like to sit on the fence when it comes to making a complete decision for Christ. They like to sit on the fence and they kind of like to have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. But the final crisis that is coming upon our world will lead men and women to make one of two choices, to be either completely for Christ or to be completely against Christ. So the final decree will go forth and men and women will either be saved or they will be lost. The door of probation will close and the seven last plagues will then be poured out on the wicked. Then Jesus will come to deliver his people and the Bible describes the command to begin pouring out the plagues in Revelation chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Then I heard a loud voice from heaven, sorry, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of wrath, uh, bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the question once again needs to be asked, Are God's people delivered before the time of trouble or do God's people go through the tribulation under the protecting hand of God? Well, to help us understand this, we're going to review just briefly what happened with the, with the plagues that fell on the Israelites in Egypt. The Israelites were indeed protected by God during the plagues that were poured out on the Egyptians. The Egyptians lived through the plagues and they were delivered at the end of the plagues. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, 10, 11, it says, Now all these things happened to them, that is, the Israelites, as what? Examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So the Egyptians oppressed the Israelites and would not allow God's people to go free to worship him. But just as the Israelites were present through the plagues and delivered at the end of the plagues, so God's people are present but protected through the plagues and delivered at the end of the plagues. Exodus chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh would not let the Israelites go. Instead, he oppressed God's people, made them make bricks without straw. And God had to use the plagues in order to deliver his people. When the firstborn, uh, when the firstborn of the Egyptians were slain, the lamb's blood God told the Israelites to put the lamb's blood on the doorposts and that they would be delivered 
that uh, the angel of death would not pass there. And so in these last days of earth's history, God's true followers will not be destroyed by the plagues. By faith, they will hang on to Jesus. By faith, they believe that Christ will come and deliver them just like he delivered the Israelites. So do God's people go through the tribulation? Yes, they do. Just as the Israelites went through the plagues in Egypt. Another example of God's people going through tribulation is the three Hebrew worthies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who went into the fiery flames. The counterfeit image was established and, the, and church and state united. The Hebrew worthies said, we will not bow down, we will not serve your gods. By faith, they went into the flames. They said, we'd rather die than give up our faith. We'd rather die than sin against our maker. But unfortunately, friends, there is a great deal of Christianity today that says if we have enough faith, we will never have to experience any hardships or any difficulty. Have you heard, th have you heard this? I, I uh, was working uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska. I was going to school at Union College there for a while. And I actually, um, before I was there at the college, I was studying at the academy and I was doing Bible studies with my pastor, the senior pastor of my church. And Bible studies were going well. I was actually making it, I had made a decision to get baptized. And, um, and, and we'd been studying for about three months. And all of a sudden, he didn't show up one day for the Bible study. And it was very unusual. And so we were like, what's going on with Pastor Dan? He's, he's not here. Well, it turns out he ended up getting a brain tumor. And he, unfortunately, very sadly, passed away within three months. It was super aggressive and, and very tragic. And it really was devastating to me. But I had someone that came in um, to the place that I worked uh, several years later, and they told me this. He, he said, if you guys would have had enough faith, your pastor would have been healed. He said, if you guys would have had enough faith, your pastor would have been healed. Friends, <laughs> there's this whole mentality out there today that if you have enough faith, you'll be delivered from all your problems. It's called the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel. You hear some tele-evangelists tele preach that these days, but the problem is, is that the prosperity gospel doesn't work when you visit Africa. It doesn't work when you visit India and you see people starving to death. It doesn't work when you talk to a woman that is dying of cancer. It only works for a few, and it picks them up artificially only to let them down. We need, more than just, we need more than a cheap fix. We need a genuine faith. Amen? We need a faith that is going to last. We need a faith that is going to endure the tests to come. We need a faith that will hold on to Christ when the going gets rough. You see these seven last plagues that, that God's people, you see in these seven last plagues that God's people are protected, but all around them there is trauma. They look through the darkness and they say, we're holding on because we know that Jesus is coming soon. Our deliverer is coming. The third reason that God's people go through the tribulation is that Revelation declares that God's triumphant people go through the tribulation as victorious. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9, the Bible says, After these things I looked, and behold a great multitude which no one could number. Friends, do you want to be among that great multitude? I do. It says, There was a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, tongues, people, and standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and with palm branches in their hands. 
These are the ones who come out of what? Great tribulation. These are people who had faith. These are people that hung on to Jesus when everything around them was crumbling. It's a multitude so large that you can't number them. That is good news, friends. <laughs> there was financial collapse that took place, but they held on to Jesus. There was the greatest earthquake this world has ever seen. Every mountain and island was moved out of its place, but they held on to Jesus. They looked up at their deliverer who was coming. There was war, there was conflict, there was strife, but they held on to Jesus through it all. They came out of the great tribulation and they stand at God's throne victorious. Revelation continues to say that this great multitude, which no one could number, they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Friends, they've been serving God down here in good times and through bad times, and nothing can shake their faith. These are God's faithful survivors. They stand, they stand firm when all around them people are falling. They serve him down here so that they can serve him up there. The Bible says, And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Friends, Jesus dwells among them here because he's dwelt in their heart. Sorry, Jesus dwelt among them. He dwells among them up there because he's dwelt among them down here in their hearts. By faith, they hang on through these plagues. Revelation chapter 7, verse 16 and 17 continues by saying, They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to the fountains of water, the living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see the economic boycott in the mark of the beast said that you can't buy and you can't sell unless you have the mark. But now God's but but now they're not hungry now because the living manna feeds them. Friends, God will take care of his people. So let's see what the seven last plagues are. Now there's a much deeper meaning a, a deeper message in each one of these plagues than most people have actually realized. And I'm going to share that with you tonight. First, there are sores, sores from head to toe. The Bible describes the first plague as a foul and loathsome sore, Revelation 16, 2. And those who enforce the mark of the beast, they say, unless you take the mark of the beast, we're going to physically afflict you. They say, if you want to be physically protected, you must take the mark of the beast. But the first plague is a physical affliction, sores from head to toe. So those who promote the mark of the beast promise protection, but they can't deliver. The first plague has a much deeper spiritual message than some have ever understood. The first plague is saying that all of our physical security is where? It's in who? It's in Christ. Church and state will unite. Pressure will be applied to God's end time people. The authorities will declare that they are going to physically oppress you unless you receive the mark of the beast. But it is those who receive the mark of the beast who are going to be physically afflicted by these last plagues because Jesus is going to protect those who trust in him. Psalms chapter 46 verse 1 and 2 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. 
Friends, our refuge is not found in some church-state union. It's not found in government. It's found in Jesus. Amen? Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth, even though the earth be removed, the Bible says, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Why don't we fear when the plagues are falling? Because God is our refuge and he's our strength. Amen? The second plague is the sea turning to blood. Revelation chapter 16, verse 3 says, Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Now, can you possibly imagine what would happen if the sea actually became like blood? And if every living thing in the sea died, it would completely destroy the economy of the world. But those who have enforced the mark of the beast threaten everyone on earth. They say, you better take the mark of the beast or you cannot buy or sell. They say all economic security is in the beast power. But what does the second plague say? The second plague says to them, you can't deliver what you said you could deliver. You said you could deliver economic security, but the entire world is in chaos now. The spiritual meaning of the second plague is that all of our economic security is in Christ. Let's look now at the third plague. It also has a message about Jesus. The third plague is that rivers turn to blood. Revelation chapter 16 verse 4 says, Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. Revelation 16 5 and 6 tells us why God turns these rivers into blood. It says, And I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. So why does God turn the rivers and fountains of water to blood? It's because they've shed the blood of God's faithful followers. Before the plagues fall, before probation is closed, there are going to be martyrs, friends. There are going to be Christians that die for their faith. But praise God, friends, that their faithfulness will lead many others to accept Jesus and to accept God's truth in these last days. Just as there was persecution in the early Christian church, and, and historians even write, and they say that the blood of martyrs was like seed for the Christian church. In other words, when when one person died for their faith, there were hundreds that would spring up as a result of, of seeing their faithfulness to God. And that, that will happen in the last days. But God's people will be protected during these plagues. And at this point, no more people, none, none of God's people will die when these plagues go because they will be protected. It's, it continues here in verse 6. And you have given them blood to drink for it is their just due. So the enforcers of the mark of the beast say, if you want your life to be preserved, take the mark of the beast. But they can't deliver because the rivers and fountains of water turn to blood, showing that all of our life is in Christ. You see the first plague, the sores say all of our physical security is in Christ. The second plague says the seas turning to blood say all of our economic security is in Christ. And the third plague the rivers and fountains of water turn to blood, tell us that all of our life is in Christ. Every plague says something about Jesus. 
There are plagues, but praise God, friends, there are promises for God's people. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 16 is a promise that you can claim at this time. The Bible says, bread will be given him and his water will be sure. Friends, when the rivers and fountains of water are turned to blood, God's people will have water and bread. Amen. God will take care of his people. In the fourth plague, the sun scorches men. Now notice how the Bible puts it in Revelation chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has, the pow- who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. You would think, friends, that when the unsaved are afflicted by the plagues, that they would repent but their minds are hardened, their hearts are calloused, and they are locked in their rebellion against God. The plagues reveal that they have trusted the wrong sources. In the fourth plague, it's interesting that the sun scorches them because throughout the centuries, the sun had been something that had been worshipped. In Rome, it was called Mithraism. The Persians also worshipped the sun as well as the ancient Egyptians. The ancient Babylonians worshipped Bel Marduk, the god of the sun. And in the last days of earth's history, people will follow the beast power. People who follow the beast power will be scorched by the sun, showing that they've trusted the wrong sources. They've trusted the wrong sources this whole time. Here the fourth plague says that all of our all true worship is in Christ. It says, worship the Creator. So to review here, the first plague says all of our physical security is in Christ. The second plague says all of our economic security is in Christ. The third plague says all of our life is in Christ. And the fourth plague says all true worship is in Christ. Friends, don't accept a counterfeit system of worship. Worship the Creator God. Amen? Here's another promise that God's people will claim during this time. In Psalm 91 Verses 1 through 3, it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. So why will these plagues not afflict God's people? It's because He's their refuge and their fortress. He's their mighty protector during this time of trouble. The fifth plague is darkness on the kingdom of the beast. Revelation chapter 16 verse 10 says, Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. In the Bible, light is a symbol of truth, spiritual knowledge, and wisdom. Those who receive the plagues have looked to the beast for light and for truth, but the beast kingdom is filled with darkness. They have looked to false religious leaders for truth, and they have been let down time and time again. They have trusted tradition instead of the word of God. They have trusted false promises, the false promises of the beast, rather than the promises of God. And now it's too late. This literal darkness on the seat of the beast is an appeal to you and me that all light is only in Christ. 
Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word, that is God's word, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Friends, if you want truth and not falsehood, if you want light and not darkness, then turn away from any church system that teaches darkness and come to Christ. These literal plagues teach us deep spiritual truths. Revelation chapter 16, verse 11 says, They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. Unfortunately, friends, these people don't repent. In fact, it's too late for them. Probation is closed for them. They've rejected the light that God has given them. They've rejected all the opportunities that God has given them. And now they have hardened hearts and closed minds. Remember that, that decree went out. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. And, and then the plagues go out. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is unrighteous will be unrighteous still. So their minds are locked in darkness. One, comp- one compromise of God's word leads to another. Friends, the message of the plagues appeal to us today. The plagues are grim reminders of the ultimate reality when a world abandons Christ and his love. The plagues were written as a warning to all who can read, to all who have eyes to see and ears to hear, to all who have minds to comprehend and hearts to perceive. It's a warning to all of us right now. It's a warning for us to come to Christ now because once the plagues fall, it's too late, friends. It's too late by that time. We don't have to experience these plagues. They don't have to fall on us. Praise the Lord. In fact, as long as we're connected to Christ, we don't need to fear. The Bible says in Psalm 91, it continues, it says, You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Friends, in Christ we are secure. We are sheltered and we are safe. In Christ we have a refuge. In Christ we have a fortress. We are protected in Christ. During these plagues, a thousand may fall at your right side, but the Bible says that it shall not come near you. Verse 8 continues, it says, Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Friends, the plagues are the reward of of the wicked. It's, it's the, re, re, the reward of a life of disobedience. The plagues are the natural, res, uh, the natural result of a life separated from God. They have forfeited God's protection. The sixth plague is the Euphrates drying up and Armageddon. Now, what is Armageddon? Well, let's look first at the word and see what the word means. Literally translated, the word Armageddon comes from the Hebrew root words Har and Megiddo, meaning mountain of slaughter. We read about Megiddo in the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, when God's people were surrounded and doom seemed certain, God miraculously delivered them. At Megiddo, God sent reinforcements to deliver his people. And in the battle of Armageddon, all the forces of evil in the last days focus on God's people to try to destroy them. But in the battle of Armageddon, God's armies take to the sky and come streaming through the heavens to deliver his people 
and to destroy the wicked once and for all. The battle of Armageddon is not some battle on earth, although there may be physical conflict that leads up to it. It is the final conquest of Jesus Christ and the armies of heaven over the powers of hell and wickedness. It's earth's last war. The Bible describes it in this way in Revelation 16, 12. It says, Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Now this is symbolic language. The river Euphrates was a river that ran through Babylon, and it was a support system for Babylon. In the Old Testament, Babylon held the Israelites captive for a period of time. And in the Old Testament, Babylon represents spiritual confusion. In the New Testament, it does as well. Uh, in Revelation, there is spiritual Babylon, which represents a union of church and state, which is a union of confusion. So what does this water symbolically represent? Well, Revelation 17, 15 tells us that the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So waters in Bible prophecy represent peoples. So what happens next? In the last days of earth's history, all this support dries up for this religious political union. Why? Well, it's because the plagues are poured out and there is chaos in the world. The followers of the beast will be confused and they are going to withdraw their support. And just as Cyrus, the king of the east, delivered God's people from the tyranny of ancient Babylon, so uh, when the river Euphrates dried up, so Jesus, our king of the east, will deliver God's people at the time of the end. When the support system for spiritual Babylon dries up. Now, notice what the Bible says after the six plagues have been poured out. In Revelation 16, 15, it says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So after six plagues, Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Now, what sense would it make to say that Christ delivers his people before the tribulation when the Bible says he's coming as a thief after the tribulation? See the logic? It would make no sense at all for the Bible to say that Jesus is coming as a thief to deliver his people if, if he had already come as a thief before the plagues began. It wouldn't make any sense. The seventh plague describes what happens at the coming of Christ. There is a great earthquake and hail. Cities are destroyed. As the battle of Armageddon takes place, the wicked finally try to destroy the believers, and Satan's wrath is poured out on God's people. But then, at that moment, Jesus comes, as the mighty deliverer. The seventh plague climaxes with the second coming of Jesus. The Bible says in Revelation 16, 17, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl in, into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. It is done. Heartache and war are over. Sickness and suffering are over. It's finished. Verse 18 says, And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as has not occurred since men were on the earth. Friends, the earthquakes that we see today are nothing compared to this great earthquake that will happen when Christ comes. All of earth begins to thunder and shake. 
The Bible describes this in Revelation 16, 20 and 21. It says, Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Now the weight of a talent is about 66 pounds. So each hailstone it weighs 66 pounds. Friends, this is heaven's artillery. But here are God's people. God's people are protected by him. They have found their physical security in Christ. They have found their economic security in Christ. Their lives are hid with God in Christ. They have, they have found true worship in Christ. They have found that Christ is the source of their light and the source of truth. And here they are. The wicked try to attack them. The, the wicked try to annihilate them. But here is a great earthquake and every mountain and island is moved out of its place. It's the last phase of the battle of Armageddon. And Jesus streams down the corridor of the sky. Hailstones come down and crush the wicked. And Christ comes on his throne as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The righteous are caught up to meet him in the sky. They're changed into immortality. The righteous dead are resurrected. The righteous living are caught up to meet him in the sky. And the wicked are destroyed by the brightness, also by the brightness of his coming. Christ is their security then for the, for the righteous because he has been their security all their lives. They've trusted in him throughout their whole lives. The Christ, friends, the Christ who died for you on the cross is not going to let you go during the time of tribulation. He's going to be with you through it all. The Bible says in Psalm 91 verse 4, He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Psalm 91.10 says, No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Friends, this is a promise that you can take to the bank. Amen? We need to claim God's promises in these last days. All of the angels of heaven will surround you during the time of trouble. They will be there to protect you. You have nothing to fear if you are in Christ. Friends, now is the time to take our eyes off the troubles of today and to put them on Christ. Get your eyes off the sores that will afflict the wicked and put your physical security in Christ. Get your eyes off of making money and putting your economic and put your economic security in Christ. Get your eyes off of temporary pleasures of this life and put your life in Christ's hands. Put your worship give your worship to Christ alone. Follow Christ's truth. The Bible says that there will be a great multitude that no man can number. They will find Christ as their refuge and their security. A great multitude will come out of the great tribulation. And by show of hands here tonight, how many of you want to be among that great multitude when Jesus comes? Amen. Then you can make it with God's help. If you rely upon him, daily surrender to him, he will be with you through it all. Let's pray together as we close. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, that each of these plagues show us something about you, Lord, that we can put our trust in you completely, Lord. Lord, the beast power is going to say that, that economic security is, is found by taking the mark of the beast, but Lord, it's found truly in you. And uh, Lord, we pray that, that we would learn to trust you now, 
in the times of relative peace and relative ease. Lord, because the times are coming when it's going to be much, much more difficult. Lord, help us to start memorizing your promises now. Help us to hide your word in our heart, Lord, that we may not sin against you. I pray, Lord, that you would be with each one here tonight. Lord, I pray that when you come, Lord, that we would be ready and that we would be safe with you, Lord, through these plagues and that you would come as our mighty deliverer. And Lord, we pray for our loved ones, Lord, that may not know you. Lord, we pray for our family members. Lord, we pray for our neighbors, our co-workers that may not know you, Lord. They may not have a saving relationship with you at this time. Lord, we pray that you would do a mighty work in these last days, Lord. We pray that your Holy Spirit would fall, and we pray, Lord, that there would be a great revival that takes place, Lord, that people would turn to you while there's still time. Lord, we pray for our family. We pray that you would work in a mighty way. Be with each one of us here, Lord. Continue to to lead us, Lord. Continue to guide us. Continue to send your Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. And Father, help us to walk in the light as you are in the light, Lord. And may we not fear what will happen, knowing that, that when we're with you, everything's going to be okay. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that we've learned tonight. Keep us in your care, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.